listening to Dairy Voice, a podcast exclusively for the dairy industry. We're speaking on Dairy Voice today with Nate Denae, who's Director of Dairy Market Insight, and James Carr, who's Head of West Coast Dairy, both with INTL FC Stone. The gyration in the dairy markets, everyone's obvious concern about price, uh, and thoughts on risk management, I think, will be kind of what we're talking about today, and I'm really delighted that Nate and James can, can join us. This is Joel Hastings, your host. Nate, let's start with you. You just issued your April report, and you kind of tracked the steep drop and then the steep rebound in prices. Uh, tell us a little bit about what's going on. Yeah, Joel, thank you uh, for having us. And I would call it a little bit more than uh, gyrations. It's been <laughs> a near, near record drop followed by a, a record rally, at least for spot cheese. We don't think there's any one thing that has driven the rebound in dairy. It's, it's a number of different factors. First is simply the supply side. This isn't true everywhere across the country, but uh, talking with various co-ops and milk handlers, dairy farmers who were asked to reduce milk production have made some uh, significant cuts to milk production, both through culling a few more cows, tuning down the ration, drying off some cows a little bit early. So we have seen some slowdown in milk production. We, we just got the April milk production data, and production in April was still up 1.4% from year-ago levels. But that's a dramatic slowdown from the 2.8% growth that we saw in March. So when we, when we get eventually the May milk production numbers, I think it's going to show that U.S. production was probably at or below year-ago levels uh, overall. So we've, we've had some supply slowdown. And then we've also, I don't want to say it's good demand, but it's been a surprising, let's call it short-term bounce in demand. First, when U.S. cheese prices were at a dollar per pound, U.S. cheese was the cheapest in the world by far. And uh, processors tell us that they booked good exports for April and May. So there was already some some decent sales on the books coming into May. And then uh, the USDA food box program was, uh, the first round of that was announced and it was twice as big or more than twice as big as expected for product that would be purchased and uh, given to food shelves and directly to consumers in May and June. So we, we got a surprise surge in demand from the food box program at the same time that we had good exports on, at the same time that food service sales were rebounding a bit, and at the same time that the supply side has slowed down dramatically. And so it's, it's been a combination of all of those factors that have driven the, uh, the cheese market drastically higher. Nate, we've seen some uh, inventory figures for cheese and butter that appear to be maybe a little bit higher than, than seasonal or higher than last year, if I'm not incorrect. Is the inventory for those products uh, impacting the situation? Yeah, last Friday we got the cold storage data, or excuse me, Thursday, Cheese stocks were up, total cheese stocks were up 6.1% from a year ago, and butter stocks were up 26.8%, let's call it 27% from a year ago. Uh, so both up significantly from last year. The cheese one was not much of a surprise. That was almost exactly what we were forecasting. It does suggest that domestic 
sales of cheese were down somewhere between seven and 10% for the month of April. But again, that was expected given the, the 60% decline in food service sales in April. The cheese one was, was not a huge surprise. The, the butter one was about 30 million pounds heavier than forecast, and, and that is uh, bearish for the butter market moving forward. But uh, the interesting thing about cheese in the U.S., you know, we, we, we talk about the inventory numbers, and we think large cheese inventories or, or low in, inventories of cheese will be a dramatic mover in terms of the price. But the only cheese that can trade on the CME spot market is cheddar aged between four and 30 days. Once this inventory is 30 days old or 31 days old, it, it still matters a little bit for price, but not that much. If we end up with very tight, fresh cheddar supplies like we've seen in the past three weeks, um, the market can rally despite large inventories. But as soon as sort of that, that temporary tightness and fresh supplies starts to loosen up, then things come crashing back down. Well, James, in your work with uh, producers and, and others in the industry in the West, particularly, you're, you're based in Twin Falls, you've shared with us. I think we can say that those producers who were not involved in risk management at the time of the monster drop in price, it was a pretty scary thing. Probably scary for everybody, actually. Give us your thoughts on, on kind of regrouping for risk management activities uh, now that we've seen something of a rebound in price. Yeah, again, uh, I appreciate you having, uh, having me on here. Yeah, I mean, I think that for those that uh, hadn't used any of the tools available, there was some, some, some scared, some discussions on where are we going. I mean, the, the drop was so violent so fast that uh, caught, obviously caught everyone off guard. That's why they call them black swan events. But yeah, with the tools that are now available, with the margin programs um, for the average size of the smaller dairy, the average size dairy in the United States, dairy revenue protection, which is uh, the newest program offered by the RMA through through insurance providers, approved insurance providers. That's really one of the first programs that are available to people out there that are the larger dairies, the newer probably West Coast dairies that are a little bit larger that haven't been able to use the margin programs. They're out, it's out there now ready, I mean, ready and raring for them to some positions. I think right now with what we're seeing with the tightness in, in uh, fresh cheese with everyone, every, all these things that Nate just said, pushing the market higher, it's a great opportunity for, for people to get some coverage that uh, maybe didn't have some before this all happened. Uh, and we realize, of course, we'll add the proviso that you're not making specific recommendations here, but speaking more generally, which we appreciate. Nate, shifting back to you, as you look at the, let's say, the class three milk futures uh, as they're posted for uh, later in the year, what do you make of those prices? They're, they're lower than we wish, but they're not maybe disastrous. Uh, but what do, what do you see happening as you look at the futures uh, for some of the products and the class three price? When I look at the market, especially from a, a longer term time frame, you know, let's say six months out, one of the basic questions I ask myself is, is whether we need to be encouraging more production or less milk production moving forward. While we've seen a nice bounce on the demand side short term, when I look at 32 million people in the past six weeks applying for, for unemployment benefits. When I look at forecasted GDP growth, that's the worst 
you know, going back to the Great Depression, both in the U.S. and globally. Uh, don't forget the world market here. When I think about those things and think about the government eventually running out of money for their commodity purchasing programs, you know, I have to believe that the demand side is going to be weak in the second half of the year, absent large government purchases. And so if that's the case, we really don't want milk production growing more than 1%. Uh, and in fact, we might want it flat against a year ago. A lot of the slowdown that we've seen in milk production short term is because of base over base programs that cooperatives and milk buyers have put into place. And a lot of those phase out in July or, or roughly uh, that, that time frame, end of July into August, um, some of them in June. And so if the co-ops are no longer penalizing farmers for, for growing milk production and the futures up here at 16 and a half, 100 weight against $3 corn, uh, that should be a mildly positive margin for most farmers. Um, the, the market is telling farmers to produce more milk but I think when we get down the road here, four to six months, the demand side's not going to be that good. Uh, so I think we end up with an oversupply of milk relative to the demand later this year, unless the government continues to purchase at the same pace that they have been purchasing at. Uh, speaking of government purchases, and, and I realize that the uh, politics of government programs aren't necessarily in any of our wheelhouses here. We know there's uh, being considered, it came out of the House, the Senate is taking a more cautious approach, more aid uh, for the economy. Is there any way that either of you in your work are able to factor in what might happen in terms of, of dairy based on the politics? It's, it's a tough one. Uh, you know, what, what we do know is the amount of money that they have allocated to various programs. They're, they're buying commodities with money under the Section 32 program, under the Trade Mitigation Program, under the, uh, the CARES and Families First Coronavirus Act uh, funding that they got. And then they're also purchasing under the Food Box Program. So we can take all of those different pools of money and dairy typically gets 20 to 30 percent of uh, whatever gets spent on agriculture, which, which is a pretty good share. So if we assume 20 to 30% of the dollars allocated to those different programs are going to be used to purchase dairy commodities, and then we kind of lay it out on a, on a calendar and say, okay, how would this all fit together for the next year, and how much, what volume pro of product can they buy with that? I mean, those things we've, we've factored in, but the Trump administration has not been shy about spending money. So even if we try to lay out what we know the funding looks like for the next 12 months, there's always the possibility that if the food box program runs out of funding, that more could come in. Like you said, uh, uh, new bills in Congress um, might make that possible. And so, again, from a pure supply and demand basis, it continues to look bearish, at least relative to the signals that the market is sending to farmers. But there's always the possibility that the government would allocate more money and purchase more dairy product off the market than what we're currently assuming. I just wanted to kind of follow up on what Nate was just saying. What I hear from Nate, and we have these conversations all the time between each other and the group, is uh, I hear volatility is going to be huge in the back half of 2020. You're going to have probably going to have months where we're going to see um, prices not uh, being as uh, friendly as we'd hoped, and then you'll see some uh, a month, just like we're seeing now, where you're going to see $17 milk, $16 milk, and sometimes you might see 
sub 15 or, or below, depending on the fresh cheese situation given that month or the uh, dollars being spent by the government into the, into these support programs. So I think the theme uh, for this year is going to be extreme volatility. If I'm a producer and I'm not particularly experienced or involved in risk management, I'm trying to deal with keeping my employees safe. I'm watching these uh, price gyrations, if you will. Pardon me for that term, Nate. <laughs> and let's hope it's just a gyration going forward and not the, not the monster peaks and valleys. I've got a lot on my plate as a producer working my way through this uh, current period. James, what, you know, how do I approach this? How do, how do I think about this? Yeah, so uh, one thing that we do is we obviously like to talk to our customers and understand their risk profile and how much time they want to allocate towards a risk management program because nothing fits one person from the, the, the least um, time, time sensitive or take less, least amount of time. I'm looking at insurance products, DRP, LGM. You can go to the FSA and uh, they've got some programs that you can go directly through them with the margin protection. And then you move up into the futures as options. That takes a little bit more time, probably a little bit more trust. And of course, a little bit more capital. So, we lean towards the you know person that doesn't want to spend a whole lot of time with risk management. We're gonna we're gonna probably focus a little bit more on straight options or dairy revenue protection. Those that uh, are a little maybe a little more uh, seasoned or want to want a little more tailored uh, management practice, then we'll, we'll talk about futures options swaps things like that. Nate, shifting back to uh, dairy production and, and dairy products, what is your take on the, the whole food service side? Uh, we're seeing states open up, we're seeing restaurants uh, begin to open up again, but there's the question of who's going to be participating in those restaurant meals uh, in a cautious environment. What are you thinking about in terms of the trend lines for food service uh, dairy products as you kind of look through the next next six months or so? The food service sales have continued to improve. At the low point, food service sales were down about 67% from a year ago in the last week of March. And in the first full week of May, food service sales were only down 40% from a year ago. 40% drop is still a big drop, but you know, we've seen a near 30-point improvement in uh, food service sales, even before most states had started to loosen up restrictions. And in fact, in the most recent two weeks, sales at fast food restaurants have been running above year-ago levels. And that's almost all coming through through the, uh, the drive-through window. All of the decline that we're still experiencing, or most of it, is due to in-person dining at, uh, you know, family sit-down restaurants and fine dining establishments. And one thing that I'm trying to think through, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that the food service numbers are going to continue to improve, but remain at least 20% below year-ago levels out into the fourth quarter. But what I'm, what I'm trying to think through is, okay, if most of the hit is going to be in sit-down dining, how much of those sales are uh, alcoholic beverages, soda, get total sales back to year ago levels to clear the same amount of dairy as we cleared a year ago. There may be non-linearities between the headline decline in food service sales and the amount of dairy products moving through those restaurants. 
And so maybe dairy consumption through food service is doing a little bit better than expected. Maybe the headline decline in food service is a 40% drop, but maybe dairy demand through food service is only down 20%. And we can wish our restaurateurs well, and we hope you're, and we hope you're conservative there. As we reach the end of this episode, I'd like your overview and your, your kind of your parting shot, if you will, take home message for folks in the industry and dairy producers in particular uh, from your point of view. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, maybe I'll take the take it first and let Nate finish up. You know, the one thing that we always preach uh, in risk management is consistency. The most successful programs are all the most consistent programs that try to take emotion out as much as possible. None of us know. We do, none of us know when the black swan event's going to happen. None of us know um, exactly what is going to transpire from demand standpoint or supply standpoint. Things can change, but consistency allows you to take emotion out of it. And I think that's one of the most important parts of it. Don't be afraid to make a profit. We don't have need the tops. We're trying to get rid of the bottom. So if we can play in the middle, um, there's a lot of money to be made. And uh, make sure you look at all the different tools available, where it be uh, insurance, futures, options, swaps. They all have their place. They all can be fit into a risk management program that uh, can be tailored specifically to a dairyman. So, and that, and the last thing is uh, volatility will be king this year in 2020. Well, thank you for those thoughts. Nate, uh, from your standpoint as a dairy economist, what can, what is your kind of parting shot for us, your take-home message today? Uh, James had a very good point in staying consistent. You know, we've, we've seen it on the other side as well, where end users and restaurants and so forth are, things were looking pretty good for them for a while there in terms of their, their purchase costs and, and beating budget. And now all of a sudden it's gone the other direction for them as well. Uh, so staying consistent in your risk management program, whether you're a producer or an end user, is important specifically for producers. Like James said, it's going to be a volatile year. There's a lot of uncertainty, but right now the market is offering the chance to lock in a relatively profitable margin during the worst slowdown in economic activity that, that we've seen um, since the Great Depression. And that's, <laughs> that looks like a pretty good opportunity to me, or at least a chance to take a lot of risk off the table. Well, a good message, and we thank you both for taking time to chat with us. We're speaking here the, the week after Memorial Day and looking to see how markets go this week, of course. We're speaking with Nate Denae and James Carr of INTL FC Stone, and uh, we appreciate you both being with us, and uh, we'll look forward maybe to speaking with you a little bit later this year. Yeah, great. Thanks for having us. Thanks, and this is Joel Hastings for Dairy Voice, found at dairybusiness.com.